He's finally back. What's up, Buttercup? And Super Vegan Brian. I just want to step in and say, right before this podcast, I ate the gluten-free bagel I brought back. And was it gluten-free? Well, I don't know if, Michael, you listened to episode 41. I have not had a chance to, no. I talked about gluten-free bagels and how Heather should send me some. And I said, oh, I'm going to be in Portland when this episode is live. I'm just going to get myself some. Ah, so I gotcha. I put... Two dozen gluten-free bagels and and Kalamata olive a gluten-free Kalamata olive loaf jammed into my suitcase and it was only fifty four dollars only. Well, the gluten-free bagels were like forty eight bucks. Gluten-free bagels are two bucks each. Holy crap! Yeah, they're ridiculous. Well, yeah, I got twenty six. I didn't get twenty four because they give you a baker's dozen. Speaking of bagels, at at the the Jewish private school I've been working at a lot that I'm actually applying to try to like get a job full time there. They um, it's gonna sound kind of you know stereotyping, but like they bring bagels a lot. Racist, and and they have really good bagels. I don't think but that's then, stereotyping. I think no. bagels are a Jewish food. Yeah, it's true. And uh, besides, bagels are good anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, I grew up in New York, so it was oh, just, you know bagels. Yeah. yeah. So, man, I don't know. I don't know where they get these bagels from, but they're dope. God, do they, they're amazing. They have dope do, they have, do they have bagels with kosher salt on them? Because I haven't been able to find those in California. Yeah. Oh, my God. There must Why be not a, do they get them? There must be a really good Jewish bagel shop out there. Oh, my God. That sounds good. I'll have to ask next. I actually had one of those because I saw it and I was like, this has salt on it. I've never had a bagel with salt on it. And I taste it. And I'm like, this is amazing. Welcome to the bagel podcast, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking all bagels about all the time. We're here for the brown glazed dish. <laughs> well, all actually, day. we're going to talk about comic book adaptations. I don't know how we're going to describe that. What things we want them to make movies out of. Things we wish comics could be on the film, but probably will never be on the film. Yeah. But first, but first, we get to play one of our favorite games, our only game, really. Huh. But it's What's Nerdy With You. This is where your hosts sit down once a week and we talk about the nerdiest thing we did. And, as always, I'm not going first. <laughs> Anthony, what's nerdy with you? Okay, so I could talk about the the fact that I went to the San Diego Safari Zoo yesterday, but I don't think I will. I think I'm actually going to talk about something that I actually already posted in the Facebook page, but I think it's just this cool. I went to go work at a school and I noticed that the kids that they use Dungeons and Dragons as a like a educational like activity. And I was just like, that's the coolest thing ever. So I sat around for like a good, I don't know, maybe like 15 minutes talking about Dungeons and Dragons and the different educational properties it has for children and how to properly utilize it as a activity in the classroom. I kill a seventh level demon. Everybody, that's recess. <laughs> So it was very weird to be discussing with other professionals in the same career as me about Dungeons and Dragons and our professional world into one. It's actually really interesting. It was a very fun conversation. There's probably right. college courses on it. <laughs> yeah, we're just funny. I don't out know about if there's it, college courses forever. about Dungeons and Dragons and child development, but probably Dungeons and Dragons and something. 
Very possible. I shared a podcast episode. So you had posted to our Facebook group with that topic. And I, in the comments on that, I shared a podcast episode on the D&D podcast talking about D&D in the classroom. Yeah, I didn't listen to that. I haven't listened to it either, but I did share it. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. Michael, you and I, when our kids get older, like maybe like five or six, we need to start teaching them to play D&D. Oh, yeah, I'm for sure. And like, um, what was our one guest? Um, Eric Britton. He talks about he. I think he was the one that was talking about uh, getting gaming formats for younger for younger players. Paris Crenshaw. Paris Crenshaw. Thank you. I got him reversed. Thank you. Well, um, Eric told us about what Paris did, and then yeah. we asked Paris about it, and he talked about it. But when I was in when I was in Portland, I actually saw Paris's book. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big, giant, thick, hardback book. It's really cool that they have a whole giant adventure for. I mean, you could run, you could spend a couple years running kids through that. That's actually really cool, and that's something I would really do for for my kid if I ever uh, like to get her to try it at least. The fact that the the original book that Paris wrote has girls in mind that's even cooler. Yeah, that is a lot cooler. So yeah, we'll have we'll have our own little D and D group. All we'll right, Anthony, you you are you are in the lead already. Well, you were first, but I, well, mean, I was first. So yeah, that doesn't still, mean much. That was pretty impressive. I. Do you have any insights about your learning about the professional, about the whole integrating it into the classroom that you want to share real quick? Okay, so the one thing that I did not actually expect D&D to be a really good job of teaching, but when you think about it, it really is, is um, empathy. Uh, when when you're playing D&D, you're so used to like, you know, you're battling, you're fighting monsters, and you're doing this and you're doing that. But you don't realize like, especially for like the healers, like the clerics and the paladins, they need to be aware of other people's statuses and you need to fix it if something's going wrong so one of the teachers was telling me like you know our cleric we had to explain to them like hey your friend over here is not looking good what can you do oh i have to heal them blah blah and they use that as a way to teach empathy and sympathy for one another because just like in the real world if you see a friend is not doing well or it looks like they're hurting they probably are hurting and you should go be this super awesome hero and save them that's amazing i never would have thought of that either actually yeah, yeah, I mean, really yeah when you said I, my logical mind it's like well how do you use dnd in the classroom and i'm like immediately to teach math <laughs> that's what that was my thought hi aiden but yeah, well, and that's the thing about about the education thing is it's about taking every little thing that happens and using it as a teachable moment. And apparently, D&D has a bunch of teachable moments. I didn't mention it at the beginning of the episode, but um, Anthony's on a tablet and he's alone with his baby. So please be aware that there might be some audio stuff during the podcast, but we, we love Anthony and we love his kid. So we're going to let it go. He found out I had graham crackers. Oh, I love his ooh sounds. He sounds so excited about you talking about D&D in the classroom. Like he's really. really (laughs) You're talking about the Dungeons and the Dragons. (laughs) I'm going to teach him. He's going to he's going to learn at a very young age. I have the microphone right now. So I'm going to say, Michael, what you got? What'd you do? (laughs) Well, uh, actually, mine was uh, not exactly last week, but it was, um, I think, the week before. Like I mentioned uh, a couple times before, two of my best friends, Dwayne and Danielle, have were married. Well, I actually was the best man at their wedding. Well, we did the. They were the ones I mentioned for the party favors that we made. Well, as we're wa- as I'm walking through in, I we all get our ties and all our like this. The wedding is basically the nerdy thing we did. The t- all our ties have D20s on them. 
Except for Dwayne's, his has a companion has companion cubes all over it. All the groomsmen and the the bridesmaids. We walk down to uh, Skyrim song. I forget which what? one. What? Yeah. Jeez, oh, it's like the nerdiest wedding ever. Oh yeah, it was great. And then whenever they started walking down the aisle at a fast clip, I might add, I held up uh, a board behind them that said uh, "Achievement Unlocked: uh, Obtain a Spouse." <laughs> And then weren't they the, weren't the okay. invitations themed that way too with achievements? Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like an Xbox um, achievement unlocked thing. Yeah, and it's uh, it's like achievement unlocked. You're invited or something like that. I can't yeah, I'm looking at it right now. We're leveling up, Danielle and Yeah, yeah it, it was great. And then all the tables did uh, weren't numbered for like like you're sitting at table four. No, you weren't sitting at table four. You were either sitting at the Minecraft table, the Assassin's Creed table, the Five Nights at Freddy's table. Or the, uh, what was the last one? Uh, uh, Dark Souls table. <laughs> Let's say and, it just wouldn't be them without Dark Souls somewhere. And they had pop vinyl and whatever pop vinyl they had for that game, they would put, they put them on the table as a, as decor. Three tables had Cards Against Humanity. Two had Games games of Flux. And one had Left, Right, Center. It was pretty awesome. Such a cool wedding. It, it was a great wedding. We, uh. We walked. We actually, when we did the grand entrance, all the groomsmen and bridesmaids, we we were introduced to the tune of my favorite Italian Brothers song, and it was awesome. I don't know them. What song? I'm trying to remember the name. It's one of my favorites. And I can't remember the name of it now. It was, I think it was Jump. Oh, okay. Because I, uh, but it was great. Whenever I heard the song come on, I was like, I love this song, and they're like, We told you. It was it was amazing. Keep talking. I'm going to go get my dog because he's starting to bark. Oh, then I will. Then I will add on this little addendum. So we're dancing. I can't remember the song we were dancing to, but we're trying to break Dwayne out of his the shell he has where he's not like super outgoing and like he doesn't really dance. But we'd all had a couple drinks. And so I just look at him and I start doing the (laughs) cozy dance. You know, we're like, hey, you fling your arms out and you're kicking. And I'm like, come on, do it. Do it. And we're all doing it and everything. And then he starts doing it. And he doesn't realize he's stepping back every time he kicks. And there's a half wall for the fireplace. And he goes, takes one step back too far. His heel catches on the fireplace, wrenches to the and then wrenches to the side. And he broke an auxiliary bone in his foot and severely sprained his ankle. Yeah. My he's best. got a robotic leg. He's got robo leg because he's in a walking boot now. He, uh, I, I saw your pictures of all you guys get together at um, the spa when you all got together, get, got together. And I felt so bad for Dwayne. <laughs> you are all like hanging out, all like sunbathing and all all relaxed. And he's sitting there with his crutch. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, he actually didn't let that stop him. He when he got. And he got into the water. He he relaxed and he was just like getting in and out of the pools and everything. He was like, I'm going to break my freaking neck. It is funny, though, when we were in the clay, the red clay mud area, I walked up to everybody with clay on my thumb and every one of them, I just went Simba and marked on their forehead. <laughs> you know, it's good to start a wedding with a broken limb because then you've <laughs> well, let me finish my point. I, I'm going to quote Robin Williams here. Then you've been pre-disastered. Pretty disastered. Yes, because if you break your foot at your wedding, what's the worst that can happen in it later? You've <laughs> already true. had your big thing. You always need to have some event happen at your wedding that you can't really top bad-wise, and then you're good for a while. It rained cats and dogs. I, mine, so. I could totally top broken leg. <laughs> <laughs> shut up, Anthony. <laughs> you shut up, Michael. Shut the fuck up, Anthony. But it, uh, <laughs> Well, it worked out for a silver lining because they ended up not being able to go out of state like they wanted to. So they, the all the money they had saved, they went and got three nights at 
Disneyland and he got a rascal. And so they got front of line on everything. Oh, that's cool. So, but Brian, what's nerdy with you? Well, what's nerdy with me is a second dog is now barking in the background, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not going to go get this one. I'm just going to mute when he barks. So, okay. So what's nerdy with me is I went to Portland to visit my girlfriend. Yes. And it was great. But we had one specific moment that I thought was especially nerdy. It's in two parts. Um, We went to dinner with her friends from work and I I'm sitting there on one on one side of an extended table. So we're I'm in the booth and they took this folding table and put it on the booth. And it literally looked like we had the big boys table and the kids table. (laughs) And two of Heather's friends are on the kids table. And I'm sitting there just people watching, watching them have a conversation and jumping in on it every once in a while. I'm imagining that I'm in an episode of the show Portlandia. <laughs> Sorry, um, uh, it was one of one of Heather's friends from work and one of her friend's um, spouses. And the friend's spouse looked just like Fred Arneson from Portlandia. And it they're having this very Portland conversation. And I'm like, this is amazing. So I've never seen Portlandia. It's a wacko show. It, it starts off, um, every episode of the show starts off like they're giving some serious representation of what it's like to live in Portland, and then it goes completely off the rails. I love when they play the goth. Yes. That's yes. The best. You eat yeah. fish? The bones. Yeah. Uh-huh, the, that's great. Or, the, like, for example, Anthony, they did this thing where it's two people who work in a store where they put birds on things, because in Portland, it's like kish to have birds on like things like purses and stuff like that. So they're like, if you want to make something hip, just put a bird on it. And they're like, a purse, put a bird on it. A wall, put a bird on it. A bird, put a bird on it. And it just starts off being this kind of cute, (laughs) this cute, funny skit about how there's this trend in Portland and let's joke about it. But the skit ends with pigeons flying into the store and shitting on everything. (laughs) What? Oh, I missed that one. Every Portlandia skit is like that, where it starts off just being a cute commentary skit and then goes completely off the rails. Oh, that show's so great. It's Monty Python on mushrooms. Okay, I have to check this out. You have, yeah. I just started watching Bill and I Saves the World, though. I need to see that because I love Bill Nye. So the second part of this is after dinner, Heather and I are like, we're hyped up from dinner. That was really fun. It was nice to meet her friends. It was nice to hang out and tell stories and stuff. We're in downtown Portland. It's nine o'clock. It's eight o'clock. And what are we going to do? And we're like, well, we can't we don't drink. So what's the point of going to a bar? And it's not nine o'clock. So karaoke hasn't started. So. Do we go to the bookstore? What do we? And I immediately thought, well, let's go to a game shop. And on the way, I'm like, I'm an idiot. Game shop and use the game library and play. So we ended up going to Guardian Games in Portland and sitting and playing this um, Forbidden Island game, which is amazing. What's and Forbidden Island? Forbidden Island is a tile building game where you you build a board of tiles and it's all different places on an island. It's a cooperative game where you play explorers and you have to explore the island and gather three artifacts before the island sinks into the ocean. 
he was really interested in that. Keep going. He is telling you all about the game. He's, he's it, excited about it. It has this like timer, and you're drawing cards. You're drawing blood cards at the end of every turn, and you start your heart rate start going up because you're like, oh my god, and it, it encourages really strong cooperation. Like when it's the other person's turn, you're supposed to say like, hey, you should probably do this, or I'll do this on my turn, and you have to plan really carefully because it's not easy to win it. And I I've love, seen it played. I love cooperative games like that. I love it when you have to work together and there's this like crazy time limit and you're not playing a video game, you're playing a board game. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think I've seen them play this on tabletop. At the beginning of the game, you're drawing two flood cards at a time and the, the flood cards, what they do is they flood certain tiles and there are certain tiles. If they flood, you just lose. Really? Oh, wow. Card floods twice, it gets taken off the island, and if the helipad gets taken off the island, you lose the game, because you can't escape the island after that. And there's no way to get tiles back after they've been taken off the island. Oh, Oh, wow. That game sounds rough. That sounds really rough. You're drawing two flood cards at the beginning of the game, but there's these water rises cards that every time you draw one of those in the treasure deck, that... It increases the amount of flood cards you draw, so you're drawing four or five flood cards, and if it ever gets to the point where you would be drawing six flood cards, you just lose the game anyway. Jeez. Yeah, It and we played it starting at two, but you can play it starting at four to make it hard. Jeez. We, and, and it ended up being a good thing, because um, whenever we had time to kill for the rest of the trip, like, we had... A whole bunch of time before going to the airport, we didn't know what to do, so we went to the game shop and we played the Flux board game. Nice. I'm not going to explain the Flux board game. Uh, I'll just explain Flux is a card game that has ran has very simple rules, but the rules get the rules change as you play. The Flux board game is that on some kind of accelerant drug. Whoa. It's really hard to track in your brain. There are so many things going on that can change in that game. That sounds amazing, actually. It was fun. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. I, I hope that they make expansions on that because the, the board game was really fun. It was the mechanics are real novel and you really get the same kind of feel from the card game, but in board game fashion. And oh, I just really liked it. Yeah, I'll have to try it. Hi, this is Brian sitting at the editing desk. We forgot to vote. So I am just going to say that since we forgot, I get to choose who won. Anthony won. Now back to the podcast. Well, today we are talking about comic books, but specifically comic books that we would love to see adapted into film or maybe even TV, but just aren't, we don't think are really going to get it, get it done because they're either too niche or too broad or too off the main story. But these are ones that we'd really love to see happen that way and probably expand on what we'd like to see happened in them. Maybe who's in it. We'll find out, but it's going to be a lot of fun. But Brian, I have to say, we're going to start off with you. Is there anyone, any movie, any comic books you'd like to see turned into a movie? Absolutely. And I got to talk about my man, Miguel Herrera, Spider-Man 2099. Okay, I'm back. Spider-Man 2099. I'm going to talk about my man, Miguel Herrera, Spider-Man 2099. Okay, so real quick, this is a comic that I've only ever seen like the front page, like the front cover of, never really dove into it. Give a little bit of a description of what it is first. I'm going to... I'm just going to say Miguel O'Hara. I always had trouble pronouncing that because it's two different uh, accents. <laughs> Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099. <laughs> so back in 1992, uh, Marvel launched Marvel 2099, starting with Spider-Man 2099. Spider-Man 2099 made an appearance in Amazing Spider-Man number 365, and then they did the Spider-Man 2099 comic. And it was at the time a little bit more than 100 years in the future because it was a 1992 comic. 
and yeah. they presented this real futuristic world and Miguel O'Hara Spider-Man's sort of a legend at this point okay. and Miguel Miguel O'Hara gets powers that are very similar to the original Spider-Man and he takes on the Spider-Man mantle and his powers were like he had barbs on his arms that he could attack with his wall crawling was actually claws like he had these little barbs on his hands that he could that he could scratch with it wasn't like a gravity thing like the spider-man now hmm neat i like it um and he got his powers on purpose what do you mean he got them on purpose like he, he was, actively he seek the, yeah he was a genetic he, he actively seek the, the spider to bite him no it wasn't bit by a spider it was a whole different origin Oh, Did this is a G manipulate himself. Um, as far as I remember, I mean, this is a comic I read when I was thirteen, and I'm piecing it back together looking at Wikipedia. So, if anyone wants to correct the little mistakes I make, and if you're listening to this, feel free. Um, Miguel used a machine to rewrite his DNA, and his his the person he was working with sabotaged the machine, causing them to alter his genetic code to be fifty percent spider, and he survived. He thought it was going to kill him. Oh, okay. Oh, so does he look physically different then? Um, he's got a 90s style suit. Very flashy. He's sleek, yeah. But they're bringing him back in all new, all different Marvel. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and he's stuck in present day. He's not in 2099. Oh, wow. Okay, that sounds fun. So if you, Brian, if you wanted to see it adapted into a movie, would you want him to be in his time or thrown back into ours? I'd want it to be in the future. I wouldn't want it to like cross over with Spider-Man. Um, I would like them to do a little bit of commentary on what genetics is like in the future and what it's like to be a geneticist and what science is like. And maybe they could do something kind of cyberpunk like and have it corporate controlled. That would be Miguel, cool. Miguel's a little different than Peter. I mean, he's smart like Peter, but he's probably a little bit smarter. Um, and, and he's a geneticist. He's like a highly skilled geneticist. And I, I don't think it was ever addressed in the comic, but he probably had a PhD. Probably. And Peter Parker never had his doctorate. Well, he could have if he tried. Well, that's a whole nother topic. And when we get back to me, I'll do that again, because I'm probably going to bring up another Spider-Man related thing. Um, that's perfectly fine. But since half of his genetic code was spider, his speeds, were, his abilities were almost more spider-like than Spider-Man, where he had the same strength as Spider-Man. He had he could jump 30 feet into the air. He could dodge gunfire from a short distance, but because he was fast, not because he had a spider sense. Oh, so he didn't have a reactive spider sense. He was just quick. Okay. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't have a spider sense. He just had enhanced senses. He basically had daredevil senses, but with sight. Oh, that's scary. And mm. his his webs were actually from spinnerets in his forearms. He had physical spinnerets in his forearms. Kind of like what they took them to do for Peter uh, for like 40 years. Because at one point in the comic series, he had finally grown organic spinners. But I think when they did the, the big events, they changed it back to him needing the wrist gauntlets. Well, like the current Peter talks about having them before and how to deal with it. Yeah, so like it's a natural part of his powers that he could have like in Spider Island, a bunch of the people who got spider powers had organic spinnerets. Well, that's good. I, I thought that made more sense than him basically being like, I figured out how to do it really easily. And um, he has spider venom in his teeth. Oh, that's terrifying. Hmm. That's that's terrifying. Yeah. And he can retract his fangs. <laughs> I bite people all the time. I that must have been something they introduced a little bit later because I don't remember that. 
and his mask was covered. So I don't think it's something he used very often. Probably not. Huh. Wait, where are you taking off your mask, Spider-Man? Huh. I'm not dealing with you again. Wait, what are you doing? No, no. But I, I think they could really phone. take the opportunity because 2099 had a real cyberpunk feel to it. And I, yeah, I, I, I think they could do a real like corporations now control the world and... Um, there haven't been superheroes for a while, but there used to be in legend. People are starting to think that they didn't exist. And then, and this guy has the whole like idolization with Spider-Man and then he gets spider powers, but he's a little bit older than Peter Parker was when he got powers. Yeah, he's already got his PhD when he gets his spider powers, so he's definitely older than Peter. Unless education's more advanced in the future. They did other 2099 comics too, like they did X-Men, uh, Venom, Submariner. Green Goblin. Ooh, all those sound fun. And my favorite, the 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 only two ones I got were Spider Man twenty ninety nine and Doom twenty ninety nine. Ooh, Doom. That sounds awesome. That sounds like a fun one. Yeah, that one was really cool. Nice. So you'd want to see that? Any ideas who you'd want to see play Miguel? Oh God, I didn't even think of that. Well, maybe I'll pop in with that later. All um, right. Yeah. Um. Anthony, why don't you share? I know you don't read as many comics. What do you have any properties you'd want to be made into movies? Okay, so I am reading a comic series now. I finally got the Warhammer 40K comics written by Titan Comics. Nice. It's called Warhammer 40K Revelations. Um, without getting like too crazy in depth into it, it's basically about this woman named Inquisitor, uh, I think Sabathiel, who is investigating and trying to find evidence to build up her case against the dark angels one of the um one of the space brain chapters uh she's trying to accuse them of heresy there is a lot of there there's a pretty dark past of the dark angels actually and they're very secretive in their in their dealings so it, it's always been kind of a big rumor that they are kind of tainted with chaos and in the past during the during the horus heresy half of the legion i think fell to fell to Chaos and a giant civil war between the uh, the chapter kind of blew their planet up. <laughs> oh joy! All the fallen angels are what they what they are called were actually like sent through space and time by the chaos gods and are now like were thrown into the future. So now the dark angels kind of secretly travel the universe trying to like purge them from existence to try to like make up for what they did. Oh wow! But this is all secret and creepy and weird, and it like makes them like do things like travel to, you know, demon temple worlds and things like that, you know, stuff that makes them look really questionable, you know, especially to the Inquisition when it's like, oh, yeah, we're just um, we're just going to this chaos world. Uh, don't worry about it. You know, we're, we're not doing anything weird. So this woman is coming in and she's doing this investigation after there was a bit of an issue on a planet where I think only one man survived. Oh, dude. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I think I don't know if this one for sure would make a good movie. Maybe it would. But I think a Warhammer 40K movie would be dope. Oh, I would like that a lot. A Warhammer 40K movie would be great uh, for this, this one. instance, it would be more like a, not a crime noir, but like almost like a, a crime thriller. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I think it does have a bit of a noir taste to it. That'd be really good. So, but Warhammer and like any of their storylines would actually be make very interesting movies. If I were to make a movie out of anything 40k based, I'd probably wouldn't even do 40k. I'd go to 30k and do the Horus Heresy. Problem is, is you'd have to do like a lot of movies. Yeah, there would be a it'd be a full franchise. It'd be a, it'd be a you'd trilogy have, of trilogies. Yeah, you'd have to do a lot. 
because I think the Horus Heresy books are like still being written, and there's like I think over forty of them, and they're still not done. <laughs> so, what would the general genre be of that? Like a dark, gritty, like sci-fi genre? So, I think most people kind of call the genre of 40k as like a grim, dark sci-fi. That makes sense. Or uh, yeah. Because everything is always very, very grim and dark, and there is only war, and everything's all about war and going to war, and everything's sad and depressing because your planet could be besieged by armies of demons and giant space bugs and wise space elves or, or bloodthirsty orcs at any second. So it's like a darker version of Starship Troopers. Which I didn't think was possible. Yeah, 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 totally, actually. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So the guy who plays Rico, who does he play? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man, I don't even know who that is to be. Casper Van Dien could totally be an old disgruntled space marine in the Warhammer or Starcraft universe because of how he looks now. Because he aged pretty good. He looks he aged very distinguished. He did. He really did. Huh. But he's the one that says, you must build more pylons. <laughs> Oh, you know what the problem would be, though? If you were to do the Horus Heresy, who do you get to play the Emperor? The Rock. You'd have to. No, it can't be The Rock. Well, by then, (laughs) Donald Trump's not president anymore when they finally make the movie, so he could do it. (laughs) But I mean, like, the person has to be, like, a 20 out of 10, just on the hot scale, amazing, attractive. The Rock. Has to be the most fittest human being possible. Oh, yeah, it has to be an optimal human. It can't be an old human. So um, You have to, like, CGI the shit out of someone, probably. I don't know. You could find some young actor that they're describing as the next Brad Pitt. I'm sure there's there's lots of non-CGI technology that they can make people look really good. Yeah, it's called makeup. It's called makeup. You know, Aiden. Aiden. Aiden's excited. He could play the emperor. He's going to be all perfect. He's on my lap. Sorry, everybody. He's on my lap. <laughs> yeah, I want to play the god emperor. Hi. Come yeah. go straight to his head. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. He just he wants. <laughs> he loves his dad. Come on, Michael. Yes. What do you got? Well, I got one that actually was uh, actually was almost a movie, yeah, but they it got switched out for a different movie, and that's Ash versus Freddy versus Jason. That movie series, the Freddy versus Jason, was actually almost was supposed to do. The, there's two stories. One, it was supposed to be Ash versus Freddy versus Jason, and then the other one was it was supposed to be the sequel, but they could never get it worked out. Uh, Bruce Campbell actually mentions it, and he he was all for it. He wanted to try it, and I think this would actually have been a really interesting movie to see made because well, I want the comic the comic was based on the screenplay that never got made exactly uh, because bruce campbell was hmm. all for it. Um, went, I, I don't remember if it was studio or one of the uh or like one of the Raimis, but it just never panned out which i'm sorry seeing ash come at jason Voorhees with his chainsaw hand would have been great well to go even further they did a sequel to that comic I heard about that, but I've never been able to find it. So in the sequel to that comic, Ash teamed up with every surviving protagonist from both movies. That sounds amazing. Every single one. The kid from Nightmare on Elm Street Part uh, 5. The guy that Corey Feldman played, who was like hunting Jason. Which one? The guy that Corey Feldman played in the Friday the 13th movies that was like hunting Jason for like... 
Jason four through five or four through six. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That guy. The the girl from the Friday the Thirteenth movie that had telekinetic powers that defeated Jason with her telekinetic powers. That one never really made a ton of sense to me. I just thought it was awesome, but she's in it. Oh, I'm not hating on her. I thought she was cool. It just didn't make a lot of sense. The ghost of Freddy's mom. Freddy's mom? Yeah. Oh, God. It It's so awesome. It's just the most epic thing ever. They could do it like the Avengers, where they do... Where, where it's like they introduce the characters in the first one and then just explode in the second one. And it's like the Infinity Gauntlet of Ash movies. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, and yet Freddy somehow gets his hands on the Necronomicon. Well, I when I originally read the comic, there's a, there's okay, so a little bit of spoilers here. But okay. in in the original Ash versus Freddy versus Jason, there's a scene where Ash does his like montage where he gets all these teenagers that are working in the S Mart teamed up to go after Freddy and to stop him from activating the Necronomicon and bringing his dream world into the real world. And they get all geared up. They're like at the S Mart and they get all their stuff and they do this crazy thing where they get all their gear from the S Mart and they all make these crazy weapons, kind of like Ash gearing up with the shotgun and the chainsaw. Then they go to Jason Voorhees' house where Freddy is. Freddy shows up and Ash does this big inspiring speech about we're going to stop you from activating the Necronomicon and stop you from bringing your dream world to the real world. And Freddy goes, well, that's great. I already did it 10 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. Oh, my God. That works so well. (laughs) That's true Ash fashion right there. Yeah. Oh, already happened. And there's a scene in there where Ash fights the little girls with the jump ropes. No. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a really cool comic. I should I should check this out actually. If if you if you can find the screenplay and read it first because it's really? so great. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a scene in the S-Mart where Freddy is fighting Ash. And Ash is grabbing power tools and stuff off the shelves. And teenagers are running around and grabbing stuff and handing it to Ash to fight Freddy with. That's beautiful. Oh, that's so awesome. Where it's like he's fighting him with a rake and then he's fighting him with a nail gun and just going around. I have to agree with Sanders. This would make a good movie. Yeah. This would be a very good movie. This would be a good one. Because Freddy versus Jason, like, I mean, that was a neat movie. Uh, uh, Like, it wasn't. Obviously, you don't watch that expecting, like, a good movie. You watched expecting a cheesy kind of dumb movie, but it was entertaining. <laughs> I, I, and I think Ash versus Freddy versus Jason could be probably better. I don't oh. remember all of what Jason's role was, but I do remember in the sequel to the comic, he turns into Jason X from the future for a little while. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. They, they pulled from every single reference to every single Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street reference they could. Nice. That's pretty awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's quite incredible. Oh, that's great. So Brian, I gotta ask you, do you have another one? All right. So I, I'm just gonna make a few references to Spider-Man and then I'll go into my real one because if I talk about only Spider-Man. So let me just tick these off. Miles Sorry. Morales, Spider-Man. Miles Morales. Miles Is that Morales, the, the Filipino um, the half, uh, gay um, guy? I do not know his ethnicity or sexual orientation. He they 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 canned the um remember they canned the sexuality, but he's part African American, part Spanish. I do not know his. I heard he was Filipino. Okay, I'm just going to officially say we do not know his ethnicity <laughs> or sexual orientation, and we're not going to speculate on this. No, but I heard about the that they were going to make a Spider Man who was 
a homosexual Filipino kid. Did they can that idea? I yeah. don't know. I don't I know, know that much. Officially, I'm not, I'm not really familiar enough with that. I know that Miles Morales appeared in Ultimate Spider-Man, and it was a Spider-Man that was handed the mantle from Peter Parker when Peter Parker died. And now he's back in the same universe as Peter Parker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm only familiar with Miles Morales from the Spider-Verse on Ultimate Spider-Man TV show. Yes, and it was Donald Glover that played him. Yes, Donald Glover needs to play Miles Morales. Well, no, the the, crea- the character was literally created for Donald Glover. He there voiced big- him. Well, yeah, but no, they, they were originally going to bring Miles Morales into the Andrew Garfield universe because whenever they were... He was actually... They wanted to... They were thinking about, well, could we do an African-American Spider-Man? And there was an outcry, so they're like, no, we'll just make a character. He was supposed to be in the third uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, but they can't. And the other Spider-Man story... I want to quickly mention is the superior Spider-Man. Yeah. Where Dr. Octopus switched bodies with Peter Parker and became Spider-Man and ended up becoming a better Spider-Man than Peter Parker. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard this. I haven't read it, but I heard about it. and I thought it was hilarious. He murders a guy. He like Punisher style. Fuck. Well, it was uh, Rhino, wasn't it? No, it was uh, a very minor guy that. I don't know if he killed Rhino in the later story. I'm, I'm not completely done with Superior Spider-Man, but um, it was a guy called Massacre. Massacre was sort of an evil version of the Punisher. Mm, okay. So he's the Punisher. No, he's an evil no. version of the Punisher. The Punisher's um, still technically a good guy. Yeah, Massacre was financially motivated. So an assassin. No, not really. Um, okay, his scheme in Superior Spider-Man was he kidnapped the executive of a of a soda company mm-hmm. and pitched to her that she would pay him a bunch of money to murder people wearing their competitor's t-shirt. The fuck? So it would, you know, so the, mur- the, the, the competitor would get associated with the killer and then the other brand would do well. Well, I mean, Stop buying let's coke, be honest, I you. That's, still, that's still not as bad of a PR move as, as United Airlines. Whoa! United Airlines, we're putting the hospital back in hospitality. Oh my god. (laughs) I love the memes that came out of that, though. Honey, I booked their flight. Oh, great. With who? United. And then it cuts to the Rocky montage of him training. (laughs) Anyway, Superior Spider-Man, and I I said I was going to mention this, Dr. Octopus, one of his big things was he was enraged that Peter Parker had all that potential and never got his doctorate. So he goes back to school as Peter Parker to finish his doctorate. <laughs> nice. Now Peter's rich and he's got and he's got a company and Yeah. Yeah. That, there's all these really cool scenes of Peter Parker wearing working in the lab wearing goggles that look like Otto Octavius's goggles that they're really cool scenes. And oh, that's just, that'd guess, be fun to see. I got to gotta read this now. This sounds amazing. And it was Peter interesting. Parker and Otto in Peter's body seducing Mary Jane and failing miserably with Peter's voice in the back of his head, like in his subconscious, screaming no at him. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you touch her. You already had my aunt. <laughs> well, there's actually a really funny scene when Peter was in Otto's body. He's flashing through all of Otto's memories and it gets to the memory of Otto sleeping with Aunt May. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, skipping that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, nope, nope, we're good here. We don't need to see that one. <laughs> so the code to get you out of uh, Octavius's mind is in that, see, is in that memory. I don't care. I'll stay here. So for real, though, 
okay, so I mentioned my Spider-Man ones to get them out of the way. So one of the big tragedies of DC Comics movies nowadays is they're not basing their movies on actual comic book stories. So one of the things that Marvel gets right, where they're not duplicating the story, but they're taking stories and creating similar stories or they're making stories that are really close. Yeah, like Civil War is not exactly the way Civil War went, but it's close. Yeah, because they couldn't do everything because there were just so many other characters involved and they had to simplify it. Well, it was the whole Marvel Universe involved in it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, uh, you can't, you can't, you don't have the money for that. There, there were, you know, there were some exceptions, like the X Men were sort of excluded from Civil War a bit. Hulk and Thor were away, just like they did in the comics, because you know you can't have the Hulk in a Civil War comic because whoever side he's on is going to win. Yeah. In DC Comics, I want to see them start adapting stories, and the story that I want to see them adapt is. Dark Knight Returns, which is how Batman versus Superman should have been. And I think they should do it just like the comic where they base it in the 80s. They don't have to. If that's a deal breaker, that's fine. But that was one of the coolest things about the comic, that it was based in the 80s. Ronald Reagan's involved in it, in the story. It's just a great story. Hmm. Can Peter Weller play, play Batman? Yeah, have an old actor play Batman. Have Dean Kane play Superman. <laughs> Actually, that would be funnier than hell because he was he, he was a good quirky Superman in in the New Adventures of Lois and Clark. Yeah, uh, he you get you know it was a very or, or you could have Kevin Sorbo play Superman. <laughs> Holy crap, that would be great. You know, an older actor that doesn't look too old and is kind of because Superman doesn't age as fast as the other characters. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Okay, so I've always I've always wanted to cast the Batman Beyond show as a and comic as a movie, and I always thought of uh, for that old Bruce would actually work for this one too. Would be Clint Eastwood. Hmm. Yeah, I think I he, think I he think could. Be, I think he'd be a great. I'd be a great old Bruce. Yeah, the you know the facial expressions. You, yeah, I could just imagine it. him making those facial expressions or um, Tommy Lee Jones. Ooh, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be, he'd be a, he'd be a good old Bruce. Who? But I always thought In, of. Clint Eastwood because he doesn't have to move around much and he just, and the for Batman Beyond because he just sits in the chair mostly and scowl. If they did Dark Knight Returns, who would play the Green Arrow? Who would play Oliver Queen? The one-armed Oliver Queen. Yeah, the old grizzled Oliver Queen. <laughs> oh, the guy who plays the teacher in Star. The guy who plays the teacher in what? In Starship. Okay, wait. Right. Sorry, baby is talking. The, the guy, guy who plays, plays the teacher in Starship Troopers. I can't remember his name. And I like Michael, him a lot. Is that Michael Ironsides? No, it's not. Yes, yes, it is. It is. And I think he'd be a great grizzled Oliver Queen. Hmm. With his voice. And you can see and, and you can tell that he knows how to do uh, acting with one arm because they made him a one-armed character in the in Starship Troopers. Plus in Dark and Returns, Oliver Queen is balding. He's already bald. He was old when he played that. He's probably a whole lot older now. Yeah, Michael Iron- Ironside. He, how old is Michael Ironside now? I think he's in his late 60s. Yeah. Yeah, he was born in 1950. Yeah, he's in his late 60s. So I, I think he'd be great. Who plays Kara Kelly? Oh, gosh. Um, Zoe Moretz? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be a good Chloe one. Moretz? Chloe? Zoe? What's her name? Chloe, I believe. Chloe Moretz. Um, I'm not real familiar with a lot of the young actors. You have she, you have a little girl who's who's in um who's in some of those live action kid movies. This <laughs> 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 be a good one because there's somebody else there. I was thinking somebody else, too. Um, shit. I can't think of them now. But Chloe listeners, Moretz. Listeners, listeners. 
if you have seen the Dark Knight Returns show or even had to look it up, who should play a young girl version of Robin? So chime in on our group and you tell us what you think. Hmm. What what about the girl who played the I can't remember her name in Kickass. Um, she she played the she played the little girl who fought alongside Kickass. That was Chloe Moretz. That was Chloe Moretz. Okay, so yeah, her. That, yeah, that, that, that'd be my choice. <laughs> Anthony, so, yeah, her. Yeah, her. <laughs> What's it? What would she have? Red hair. She had red hair, right? She had blonde hair. Blonde hair. Mm-hmm. I doesn't mean, matter what color her hair. I is. know it doesn't it. matter what color hair. I'm just trying to picture someone. Oh, okay. So <laughs> before we move on, we Selena really, Gomez. Oh my God, we we old. went. We went really long with what's nerdy with you. Do um do we want to go a little over and 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 go through some more? Because we have a lot. Well, there's there's uh, like one to two more that I would like to mention. I know there's at least one more you'd like to mention. I, I'd like to talk about another DC Comics plot. Um, Anthony, did you have any more? Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just wanted to give you an opportunity to go. I don't Still one of Brian's. Um, I could always do one of the like video game stuff. So what's a video game you would Fuck like you to see? you guys. Say? I'm talking about video games. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, okay. And I'm going to go on like a slight tangent about something. I think the reason why so many video game movies fail so miserably, and and I think some comic book movies suffer from this as well, is because uh, maybe not so much the comic books, but no, this wouldn't apply to comic books, just video games is because they're trying to tell the story from the position of the main character in a video game. And the thing that makes the video game really good is the fact that you are you are actively participating in it. so when that gets translated to screen, people are missing that part of being a part of it, of of being able to act on it. So I remember listening to a podcast a while back. I think it was kind of funny, actually. I think it was Game Over Greggy Show. They're talking about how the best way to do a comic book movie would be to tell an auxiliary story off to the side. Yeah, it was uh, them. So talk about a story that happened in the universe of the game. You were playing like, let's say, The Witcher. And you wanted to know what was going on. Let's say you went to a village and, you know, you you finished stuff up. But maybe they could do a movie about, like, what happened after the Witcher left. What happened after Geralt left? What what kind of effects did he have on on this town as he comes in and kills all these monsters? But maybe kind of fucks shit up because he's kind of this mutant monstrosity. Maybe you could even do a story about some of the other Witchers. I actually think a Witcher... I think a Witcher movie would be really good because it's also a book series. I'm going to make this I'm going to make this like related to the topic. They should adapt the Witcher into a comic book and then make that into a movie. <laughs> really neat. But I mean, the idea of the Witcher is just it's a really neat thing. I, I should read the books and I've only played the third game, but God, it was such a good game. And the idea of what a Witcher is, is just so cool. For those of you that don't know, the Witcher series is a world where basically there are monsters exist and there's magic and all this stuff, right? And the only people that can really kind of kill monsters are witchers. And the way they do this is they they take monster DNA and they kind of infuse it into themselves. So they're mutants. So they're kind of like they're frowned upon. People don't like witchers. They they look at them and they just see like human monster hybrids. But at the same time, they're absolutely necessary for human life because without them, the monsters would just wreck shit and kill everyone. So it's one of these things where it's like they're a pariah, but they're absolutely necessary. 
And I think following a story about a Witcher, maybe not Geralt because there's enough books and games about him, but one of the other ones, because there's a bunch of them, would be a really interesting movie. And have anybody make it other than you, Bull? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. A little bit of in-joke for people who watch video game movies. (laughs) Oh, Brian. That guy. That guy. Uh, Don't even get a start on him. (laughs) I love his movies. (laughs) They're so much fun to watch. They're fun in the, wow, that was garbage. (laughs) Oh, they're so much fun to watch. They're better than trauma movies. Uh, (laughs) They are. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm going to pick your topic, Michael, because you were mentioning this before we were recording, and I want to hear you talk about it. The question. Ah, yes, the question. This this is actually a comic character that I really liked because he's like a poor man's uh, Batman almost. And I've really I've read a lot of his stuff from the late 80s, early 90s. And I just I fell in love with him. And I, I think he would make a great movie character. Where did you first hear about the question? It was on Justice League Unlimited. He was basically a, a paranoid character uh, who was into conspiracy theories. I really liked him. He was into conspiracy theories, but he was also a martial artist, and he had—he literally has no face. Um, so Dale Gribble, if Dale Gribble became Batman, kind well, of. But he—he has this—he has, he this, has this, a face. He's just wearing a mask. Yeah. yeah, he has something called Synth. I think it's called Synth skin, and it's basically a, a, a mask made of skin of uh, prosthetic skin that he can see and breathe and talk through but it conceals every ounce of his features and in the early in his uh, early renditions of his comics he actually would spray paint his hair a different color whenever he would don his costume so now, what makes him as you said the poor man's batman he's not rich How's he get the synthesis skin then? That sounds expensive as hell. He became friends with a scientist whose name I escaped me right now, and he gave him this as a to help him out in his basically crusade. And he has basically a, almost like what the Green Lantern, uh, Green Hornet has, which is a what is it called? Uh, like a gas gun almost. And mm-hmm. but and he's also a mass. He's also a, a master of hand to hand martial arts. Okay. Yeah, he's at one point he was also so paranoid and he studied things to such a level that he could uh, he can almost predict the future through probability. His but stories he, really dig into the nature of paranoia. Oh, yes. Very. They, um, in the early 2000s, they did like a reboot thing and made him almost like a almost like a god. Uh, <laughs> what? It was weird. Like they changed it. They, they did a temporary backstory change. Like they were trying to reboot the character and they made him almost like a, a god who lost all all uh, a sense of identity. So he called himself the question trying to figure it out. And he had like minor powers. It, it wasn't that good. The original. Honestly, the original one uh, uh, form of it is my favorite one because his, his real name is Charles Vic, uh, Charles Victor Zaz, I believe it is. I because I, I, I had to look up his last his his last name because I couldn't remember his last name, and I am no, I'm not doing it right. S Z A S Z. Well, Victor Zaz is a Batman bad guy. Yeah. His, <laughs> yeah. His alter, yeah. His no, his full alter ego is Charles it, Victor Zaz. It is, and it's so Zaz. similar to Victor Zaz. <laughs> I know, but he also has an alias known as Vic Sage. So, but I really thought he he would uh, he his if we did a movie with him he would bring in a very nice noir feeling to the comic book genre and I think that's something that's been lacking honestly. Well, he's he's done in the spirit of some of those really older comics like the well he is one of those older comics but he's done sort of like in the spirit of the spirit. Yeah, like if you think about like the spirit or uh, the Green Hornet even it, it's that's it's in that style the shadow. 
Yep. Oh, man. I don't care what anybody says. I thought the Shadow movie was good. Oh, the Shadow movie's wonderful. I don't think anyone says that movie's bad. Then why didn't it get a sequel? Because I loved it. (laughs) Maybe a movie just doesn't need a sequel. No, that movie needs a sequel. They need to adapt more radio dramas. Yeah. What did you think about Seth Rogen's Green Hornet? It was Seth Rogen being Seth Rogen again. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I thought I actually liked that he kind of made the character more goofy, which is Seth Rogen. But I, I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was very nicely done. Because I, I like great. I yeah, thought it was great. I, it was Seth Rogen being Seth Rogen, and that part of the movie kind of made me go. It made me groan, but I got over it. Yeah, same here. Like I, I groaned a little bit, but like this isn't like the Green Hornet didn't act that way. But at the same time, I was like, they're doing pretty good. Because I, I've read a lot of the comics that they're redoing now, and I've done, and I've actually gone back and listened to some of the radio plays they did with the Green Hornet. I, I just, it's not that I disliked it, I just, I see why comic book fans got unhappy. Because they saw their hero, they saw this hero that they loved, and basically they, they didn't see the hero. They saw the actor wearing the costume. Because again, it wasn't Seth Rogen being the Green Hornet, it was Seth Rogen being Seth Rogen wearing the Green Hornet costume. This is true. Yes, you can, yeah. you can see that in a lot of ways, I, but and I, I can see why a, that upset people. Oh, I can they, too. They did a pretty good. They did a pretty decent homage to the Cato character, though, and they respected Bruce Lee quite a bit. Yeah. Yes, they did. They did. They did pretty good with him. I think if they, I think if they hadn't paid respect to Bruce Lee and done what they did with their their Cato, that movie would have been. I'll be back. Baby's unhappy. They would have burned down theaters. I think the guy they the guy they had play Cato, I thought was really good. I liked him. So Brian, you have another one? There's a DC comic storyline called Infinite Crisis. And it's a super complicated story. It's a beyond complicated story. It it it's basically when DC brought the multiverse back after they okay, after they got rid of it in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. But there's a part of that story like right at the beginning of the story I really liked that included Ted Cord the Blue Beetle. To give a little understanding of it, there's now um actually want to give some credit so i don't sound like i'm just copying something else that's hot rob on the comics explained youtube channel just did excellent coverage on this um so check out his channel and check out his thing on it if you want to know about it i'm just going to go into a little bit but i'm going to be referencing that a bit so i don't want anybody to think that i'm just ripping him him off covering this story so there's a part of that where it talks about ted cord the blue beetle and during that time Justice League was Justice League International, and it was Booster Gold and Ted Cord the Blue Beetle. But the other thing that had been going on comics back then is they were getting way too gritty. They were getting super, super gritty and dark. What they did was they did a little bit of commentary on comics and how comic book readers knew who Ted Cord was. They knew who the Blue Beetle was, and he was real popular, but he wasn't real popular to the general public. That was still Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the main superheroes. The Trinity. So they... They did this storyline. Yeah, the Trinity. They did this storyline where Ted Cord was investigating something that was going on and none of the main superheroes were taking him seriously. It was real similar to the plot in Justice League Unlimited with the question. And I think they pulled directly from that to do that. It's this really cool story because you get this old school superhero that's sort of like a pulp hero, kind of like Batman. He has gadgets. He's a rich guy. In this particular story, someone had stolen his money. He is investigating that and it leads him onto another plot. And anytime he goes to a superhero like Superman, Batman or Wonder Woman, they're saying, well, I think you might be onto something, but probably not. If you really do find some real evidence, let us know. And he looks into it and he ends up getting killed. 
which is sad. And it's a big like you 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 actually feel when you're reading the comic. Holy shit, the Trinity of superheroes are assholes. <laughs> oh yeah, because if um, but the sad thing is, I bet if it was Bruce Wayne's money, he'd been like, no, you're helping me. And if you if you watched Young Justice and you're familiar with the Jaime Blue Beetle, that's where that came from. Where when Ted Cord died, the scarab went on to someone else. And the neat thing about it is Ted Cord never used the scarab. He didn't have any superpowers. He just had it. It was like a trophy. It, it, there's a lot of it. origin stories. And then the big thing. So I like that story. And I think you can make a whole movie about that. If you were going to do Infinite Crisis, it would be a little harder, though, because then you got Superboy Prime versus the entire DC universe. And you got like Superboy Prime killing the Titans like he rips one of their arms off. Wasn't that speedy? No, no. Speedy lost. Is that how Speedy lost his arm in the comics? I want to say maybe because I know when he I know he gets his arm, he loses his arm and then he becomes Arsenal and then he gets a drug problem and Green Arrow beats the fuck out of him. Yeah, I really don't know. I don't know how I, I know he ripped off someone's arm, but I figured that character died because <laughs> it's <laughs> Him brutal. to death. <laughs> Hi, this is Brian from the editing chair again. I just wanted to let everyone know that I looked this up. Speedy was not the character that got an arm ripped off by Superboy Prime. The character who lost his arm and consequently died was a Titans character named Risk. And a lot of other Titans died too. Now, back to the podcast. There's there's a whole more you could go into with Superboy Prime, but I think that would be too complicated for a movie. I don't think that's makeable into a movie, but I like that you could take that story of like the question or Blue Beetle or you could adapt that story into any kind of minor superhero and show their story with the bigger superheroes as a backdrop where you could yeah. introduce a minor superhero who's investigating something. It'd be even cooler if you killed him halfway through the movie. <laughs> <laughs> The, the whole Infinite Crisis storyline is a commentary about how bad comics got. It was the it was a commentary on how there were people saying comics are too dark and gritty and we want to have the good old days of heroes being heroes. And it's a commentary on heroes being heroes didn't work and it gets boring. And that's why you have gritty comics. Yeah. Infinite Crisis is really cool. I'm just going to end this with watch Comics Explains video on it. He does a much better job than me. I don't want to. I just I just want to say it's really great. And if you can get the trades for Infinite Crisis, because it's a really cool story. It's just like super epic. And oh, you get I, to see you get to see the the most awesome, like hated superhero, supervillain of all time, Superboy Prime, which is the unlimited power Superman running amok. Yeah, I remember that. He is he went batshit crazy. And he's like, hmm, I'm just going to murder all of you because I because I can. The neatest thing about Silverboy Prime is he's the original he's the original Silver Age Superman. He's the Superman that had unlimited powers. He's the one that they had to retcon and make not as powerful. Did they have him do I see I've only seen a little bit of it, so I got this is a real question. Did they did they have him do the, the hand clap thing and he makes his little clone? No, they didn't do that. But what they did was is since he was from the Prime Universe, um and his in that universe, Krypton was destroyed in a sun. It wasn't it didn't explode. There was no kryptonite from that Krypton. So he was immune to kryptonite. <laughs> oh shit. What the fuck? Um he didn't have any weaknesses. And he also wasn't affected by magic. Because there was no magic in his universe. Oh, shit. Yeah. He just got more and more powerful. What happened with him, and to just give a quick, I'm already going really long, so I'm not going to use the word quick. <laughs> so Superboy Prime was introduced from the Prime universe, which was like our world where Superman was in comics. And he was the only superhero in his universe. 
and he had unlimited power. He was super powerful. He was, after Crisis on Infinite Earths, he was in this other universe where he was watching what was going on in the universe. And he saw the Connor Kent Superboy, and he got super jealous. He was like, you're doing it wrong. I have to show up and show you how Superboy is supposed to be. And he shows up trying to be a hero. And the Titans show up like, we need to stop him because this isn't Superman. This, is, this isn't this is Superboy. This is obviously a bad guy. And trying to be, he's trying to explain that he's a good guy while he's killing the Titans. And while he's killing them, he's saying, stop this. You're ruining everything. You're ruining me. You're making me into a villain. <laughs> it's like, no, stop it's, putting that needle in my arm. I don't want to do heroin. Why are you stopping? Put the needle in my arm. And then Pretty they crazy. get, they. the only way they stop him is the flashes throw him into the speed force. Oh, shit. And yeah. And then while he's in the speed force, he builds a suit that can store solar radiation. So when he finally comes out, he's wearing this like crazy armor that lets him be even more powerful because he's got the Superman solar powers. Plus, he's got a solar battery. Yeah, they they went crazy. But you can't mention Superboy without Superboy Prime without mentioning this. When Superboy Prime was in the multiversal, the the non-multiversal plane, he got super upset. And he punched time. Hmm. What? He punched time and he broke time because he's so strong and so powerful that he broke time. He punched. Oh, dear God. That was how DC back then they used that event to to show how they retcon things. And that's actually how Jason Todd came back to life. Oh, that's why the Red Hood exists now. That's why the Red Hood exists, because Superboy because Superboy Prime punched time. He had a temper tantrum. Okay. And <laughs> so on comic book fan boards, punching time is a way of explaining stupid retcons. Punch time. Oh, man, that's good. That's so funny. You know, I don't know if you guys have more or not, but I, I think this has been a really fun topic. And I know there's a lot more that we didn't get to touch on that we want to touch on. And so I think this is something we'll have to come back to because and there's all kinds of comics, trade uh, trade storylines or anything that we could just gush over on having made and yeah i, I think, think it was, we should do it i think it was good that we went a little over time but we need to wrap up <laughs> yeah i agree and it was really good i had a lot of fun doing this episode and we'll have to we'll do we'll do a part two i know we will of course we will so um before i read off our contact information anybody got anything they want to share about what's going on with them mm. me and anthony have been sick yeah we, we had an evil demon we we have all these problems just so many problems but no uh Actually, we're pretty good. Uh, I actually have another wedding coming up in May. Oh, gosh. You're, this is one per month for the last three months? For Yeah, it seems like it, doesn't it? So I have, uh, it's actually my mother-in-law and her fiancé, they're, they're tying the knot. I have a wedding coming up in May, too. And I might, I might, uh, no, July. And I might actually go to this one. It's in, it's in New York. Oh, really? Yeah. My, my cousin, <laughs> my cousin's getting married. My cousin, Anna. So Anna's getting I, married? My cousin, Anna, different oh. Anna, 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 that's <laughs> on our podcast is not Anna. That is my cousin. I don't have a Swedish cousin. <laughs> Sounds awesome. I don't have a Swedish cousin. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably take advantage of that. Uh, my mom was idea. talking to me about it and she was like, I can't go. Um, but one of our family members should probably go. So I'll get you a plane ticket. And, I, and she gave me some time to think about it. So I'll probably do that. I, I, I'd love to see my New York family. It's been a long time. Why can't she go? I, I'm not going to go into all the reasons why my mom can't go. <laughs> my mom has a really crazy busy summer coming up. 
<laughs> I'm not going to talk about that. Well, one of the things I'm trying to plan for the summer, and that's actually a good thing to talk about. Um, my niece, Kirsty Smurf, Erica's daughter, we're trying to see if we can get her to come out here for a couple of weeks. So I, I'll be taking care of her for a couple of weeks and take her to like Universal and stuff like that. So that'd be really cool if we can pull that off. We're, we're trying to make that work right now. That sounds awesome. Yeah. That's going to be fun. So, but really, all that's going on with me is I have over 6,000 photos from Portland. So, oh. yeah, I have lots of Portland stories, um, but we, we've already gone over time. So I'll tell one of them. Do, are you cool with that, guys? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> we go to the beach and there's a seal on the beach and it's just sitting Was he there. singing Kiss from a Rose? Well, hold on. Don't, don't, don't make jokes right now because the joke is coming. It's amazing and you can't top it. <laughs> you ready for this? Hmm. So Heather and I walk out on the beach and there's a seal just sitting there. And we're just amazed by our luck that there's just this lone seal on the beach. There's nobody else on the beach and we can walk up and take pictures. We get up there and there are signs that say this is a beach door injured sea mammal. Do not approach. So it's basically don't go past the signs. The signs are about uh, like 80 yards away from the seal, which is fine by me. I can get good pictures. So they talk about how it's a $10,000 fine if you harass the animal and you can cause it stress and end up hurting it. So we're like, OK, we will stay back. We'll be respectful of that. We'll take pictures. I've taken pictures of animals that were injured before. You know, you just respect them and you you if you can contact the authorities, you contact the authorities. But they were already contacted in this place. So we find these good spots and we start taking pictures. And all of a sudden, this dude comes out of nowhere with his friend. And he starts screaming and yelling. So we're there. A couple other people came up and started taking pictures, too. And this guy starts screaming and yelling that we need to be ashamed of ourselves of taking pictures of this poor animal and not doing anything to help. Then uh -oh. he starts walking towards the seal. <laughs> so I put my camera down. I take off my jacket and I go, dude, back the fuck off. <laughs> And he's like, what? And I'm like, you need to get back right now. There are clearly signs posted. You're not allowed to harass the animal. We may be taking pictures, but that's OK. We're not hurting this thing. There's nothing you can do. It's a wild animal. No, we have to help it. We have to get it to a vet or something. And his friend's standing there and he goes, dude, I don't think you can take a wild animal to the vet. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, dude, you're going to get bit. You're going to get bit or even worse, you might kill it. So don't. And he's like, no, dude, you, I need to go do this. I need to go help this guy. And this is this huge dude with a giant bushy beard. He's got these white shorts, this big bright green shirt on. So I'm like, dude, I'm going to call the cops on you right now. Bring it, bro. Bring it. Go ahead. Call the cops. I pull out my phone and call the 911. Heather pulls out her phone and calls the sea life, the aquatic mammal association so i'm standing I, I managed to get the guy to stop he came within like 10 yards of the seal and then he came back to yell at me and i just kept yelling back and forth with him so he wouldn't move because i'm trying to keep him away from the seal and then eventually the cops show up they talk to him they don't give him a fine they don't give him a citation they just get him to go but he and they're pretty nice to us and he walks away just yelling at us you two, you should be ashamed of yourselves for taking pictures of this animal. 
And I'm like, dude, you're going to get bit. <laughs> that's, that's funny right there. And I think I made it better. It's like, and then the seal jumped on him and ripped out his beard. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing that would have made that story better. <laughs> one, one hipster down, millions uh, more to go. I, uh, oh my God. On, on the way back, I told Heather, I'm like, dude, if that guy's waiting for us, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> I took my I took my camera off the tripod and I'm like I'm just like he's gonna be messing with the wrong dude. <laughs> the super part he's violent. Oh, he's a superhero. Uh, I mean, I wasn't gonna find him and beat him up. I was just like, if he started something or tried to hurt me or her, I, I was in like super like amped up testosterone protective I know martial mode arts. Point. Oh my god, I, it was just so crazy. And people kept on after it happened. People kept coming up and asking us what happened, and we're like, you know what? This is just a weird thing that happened, and I don't really know. Nice. All yeah. right, guys. That was a good story, Brian. I think it's time for us to to wrap up and head All out. All right. So if you would like to get a hold of Nerd Podcast Radio, you can do that on our Facebook page, Nerd Podcast Radio. You can also reach us by email at brian.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, mike.nerdpodcastradio at gmail.com, anthony.com, or on Twitter, at SuperVeganBrian, at NerdcasterMike at Nerdcast Radio. Please leave reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening to us on SoundCloud, which is our main platform, leave us comments, reposts, and join us on our Facebook page um, and post your suggestions for future topics. We generally talk about what people want us to talk about. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Sounds good. So I had a, I had a good time talking about, about this. And uh, comic books that need to be adapted into movies has been something that I have talked about a lot about to other friends and stuff I've thought about a lot. So I'm glad we were able to cover it today on the podcast and I had a really good time talking about it. You brought up a couple things that I hadn't thought about. I know I never thought about Warhammer being a movie, but uh, especially like the comics run that they, that they're doing right now until Anthony, you brought it up and I thought it was great, but it's time for us to sign out and head out. And as always, I've been your host, special Mikey. Along with me, returning finally for at least this episode. Anyway, Anthony. Goodbye, everyone. And super gonna be your ass if you touch that seal, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently. And this has been Nerd Podcast Radio. And as always, stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. And stay awesome. Now say goodbye, Anthony. Brian, cut him off. Goodbye.